The whole idea of this letter to the saints in Rome was Paul showing them how to live for Christ in a culture that doesn't. How to stand firm for Christ in a culture of compromise. How to navigate a healthy, balanced life in Jesus in a culture full of crazy extremes. And he writes this letter to the book to, to the people of Rome. Really, this letter is like the constitution for Christianity. It gives us understanding of what sin is and what salvation is and sovereignty of God and how we serve him. And last week, as we've continued on, we're now in Romans chapter six. And if you're just joining us, you can check out timbercreekchurch.com and get kind of caught up with uh, the most recent, uh, recent uh, uh, series of messages that we've had. Uh, last week, we talked about the incredible beauty of baptism in Romans uh, chapter six. And uh, we had about 30 people that had already signed up to be water baptized, to follow Jesus in water baptism. And if you've just never really understood the importance or the priority or even uh, the reasoning behind baptism, last week's message would be a great one to check out on the podcast. We, we want to help you understand why we do what God has called us to do. But can we just celebrate for a minute But that beyond the 30, we had another 57 people make a commitment and we had 87 seven people water baptized last weekend of all ages, of all sizes. It was awesome. I mean, just cool what God is, is doing. And now we pick up where we left off understanding baptism is our first step. It is not a part of salvation, but it is a very huge part of obedience. Salvation is what Jesus did, not what you could do. Do's and don'ts are not what gets you saved, it's what Jesus has done, and we receive that gift of salvation, but then we wanna follow through with that salvation by being obedient, and the first step of obedience, the first step of obedience is baptism. And then we pick up the rest of this chapter in Romans chapter six, and here's how Paul lays it out. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end, like there's the line in the sand, a decisive end to that sin, miserable life, no longer captive to sin's demands. You are handcuffed, you're hamstrung, you're tied down to all of those sin's, sin's demands. It just wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And the Apostle Paul says, now that means, that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. I mean, when you leave here today, you may have a family with you in the car or in the minivan, minivan mega fun, and you may have them all together say, where do you want to go to lunch today? And if you're in my car, my son's going to yell McDonald's every time. Why? Because it's awesome. Because it's awesome. That's why. Anyway, don't you tell me that those chicken nuggets made of that goo deep fried ain't just like delicious. Moving forward, don't give sin a vote. You cannot give sin a vote in the way you conduct your life. And you may be in the car and say, where are we gonna go eat? And this person votes here and this person votes there. Do you know that your emotions have a vote in your life, don't they? I tried, I, you know, I, I tried, but okay, I'm gonna tell a story. My wife is in Agadocious. Uh, this morning, so she's gonna hear this, and I don't feel her eyes through the camera burning a hole in my soul from the front row over here, so I'm gonna say it, and then I'm gonna get forgiveness later. 
We went to Utah a couple weeks ago, a uh, family vacation right before the, uh, you know, summer's getting ready to end, and we went riding in the, the UTVs, you know, utility, whatever, the AT, whatever they're called, the fun things, okay? And we're up in the mountains, and uh, it was us and some friends and uh, in one, uh, you know, dune buggy, and then our kids in the other dune buggy, along with our daughter who's 20 years old, her uh, boyfriend from college, a good Christian young man uh, who's still alive today so far. And uh, uh, they were in the other car. Well, we were leading the way. We were going a little slow because we were going up the hill. And they come next to us. We get about, you know, 20 minutes into the road. Like, can we just like go ahead a little bit? And we said, okay. Now my daughter's boyfriend was driving. And and we said, okay, be careful. Stop every once in a while before you, you know, so we don't get lost up here. Because I mean, you could turn right, you could turn left. And I didn't so much say as, now you guys be careful. Like, let's, let's hold up, you know, like every few minutes. Said, okay. Roadrunner. Well, I'm trying to catch up. But you know, you stay too close to them. You got dirt in your eyes the whole time. And so we backed off a little bit. Well, they got ahead of us. And ahead of us, and ahead of us. To the point where when we came up to an intersection, we didn't know if they turned right or they turned left because they didn't wait for us. My wife, and it was David and Melissa Racky were with us. My wife was in the back with Melissa, and my, my wife is very level headed most of the time. And she's like, they don't know where we're going. I told them to slow down. And I mean, she's getting a little. And she's like, I love that Cade. I love that Cade, but I am not happy with that boy right now. An hour later, an hour later, we finally find them on top of this mountain. And I just want to say that the Holy Spirit was evident in my life. But when it comes to my wife in that moment, her emotions cast a vote for how she was living. And she was pretty passionate with telling somebody, oh, I know you did not go ahead of us without stopping. (laughs) The fact that that boy still loves our daughter and still wants to call her is amazing to me. We, we, you know, reconciled, everything's good. We love the kid. The next day we went mountain biking and uh, he lost a tooth falling off the bike. So we got even, you know, I, I pushed him. I pushed him. I didn't push him. Janet pushed him. You know, that's <laughs> what you get. Snaggletooth tiger. Anyway, what am I talking about? Sin shouldn't have a vote. And sometimes our emotions get ahead of us and it votes in our life. The vote's the way we respond. Our, our, our circumstances cast a vote. And so does that desire to be in control. Your desire to do it your way over God's way in any way is sin. And you cannot let your desire to do it your way over God's way in any way cast a vote in your life. Don't give it the time of day, Paul says. Don't even run little errands that are connected with the old way of life. This is like your average movie where it starts small with, with the kid kind of running a small little errand for the, for the group of friends. And before you know it, the kid is deep involved with the wrong crew. It starts with just hanging out after school one day and then it becomes arson. It, it starts with, you know, it's like the famous last words of a redneck, you know, watch this. 
And it just starts with, you know, just running the, the four-wheeler fast. Next thing you know, you're trying to, you know, launch the four-wheeler over the lake. It starts with those kids that are on the merry-go-round and spinning the merry-go-round as fast as possible and flying out of them. Like, like you know, it, it, you don't even run little errands because those little errands become big th- situations. Little decisions are big decisions in disguise. I mean, throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time into God's way of doing things. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Now, write this down if you're taking notes. The Christ follower who truly grasps the meaning of you're not under the law, but under grace, they understand the secret of becoming who God intends them to be. That seems so elementary. Just to understand the concept of not under the law, but under grace is a huge secret to becoming who God has called you to become. Yeah. And we're gonna unpack just part of that. Today, we're gonna focus on the law piece, and next Sunday, we're gonna focus on the grace piece. But today, let's kinda unpack this whole thing of under the law. The whole idea of living of the law of the land, or keeping the law, or obeying the law, we're not just talking about, you know, we're we're not under the law, that means that you can go as fast as you want through die ball, Anybody ever been there, done that? Got the ticket to prove it? Yeah. Like, you know, it's not about just putting a stiff arm to the law, but when it comes to understanding our relationship with God, you're not under law, you're under grace. But this is a huge misunderstanding on both sides. Someone who is a pre-Christian who hasn't bowed their heart to their their heart and their life to Jesus, and those that that have already chosen to follow Jesus, this thing can get a little clunky. And so I want to break it down and make it a little bit easier to understand and then apply Monday through Saturday this week. But the idea of those that have not followed Jesus, many times people put a stiff arm to God because of, if I become a Christian, Christian is just about, you know, doing this and not doing that, and you take all the fun out of life, and it's all just a bunch of rules and regulations. And there is a bunch of rules and regulations when it comes to the Bible, all 66 books but they're not understanding the power of the law when used properly. You know, as a matter of fact, you can feel like the law is there to restrict you, but the law is actually there to give you tons of, of, of freedom if you apply it in the right way. Nobody drives through, basically, you know, you, you want to live your life the way that you want to live your life. That's, that's, all of us in adolescence, like mom and dad, let me live my life the way I want to live it. And we're figuring out how to raise them as deciders and how to help them to leave the house, bless God, but also want to come back someday, but, but also leave the house. But, but like we're ch- showing them how to live under my house, my rules, my way. And they're going to push against that because they want to live their own life and be in control. That is the, that's the pandemic of humanity, and that's what sin really is, my control over God's control. 
But nobody says, let me live my life to the Colorado uh, Department of Transportation when they put a guardrail around, you know, the highway up in the Rocky Mountains. Nobody's like, can't believe they put a guardrail there. Let me live my life. I want to ride on the extreme side. No, you appreciate the guardrail. You appreciate, you appreciate the line in the middle of the road. Nobody's like, I want to, I don't care. Left side, right side. Let me drive my car where I want to drive my car. Seat covers in church. Uh Uh-oh, watch it. Let me sit where I want to sit, bless God. They're not there to hurt you. They're there to help us, believe it or not. Now, I want to unpack a little bit about law today. And to start, I want to talk about the, the kind of the three parts of the law. Here they are. You can write them down. Three parts of the law. The ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law. All of these stemming from the word of God. In particular, the Old Testament, as God started in the garden, showing us that he was once relationship with us then the first two humans that God creates fail. He gives them uh, grace, he covers them, starts off the next scene, he will give us the nation of Israel and how the nation of Israel goes up and down, up and down in this whole story of God, yet God is faithful and he's slow to anger and he is his patience, he's so kind with his patience with us. And yet these are the laws that they were dealing with in order to construct a nation and and, and show us how to relate with God. The ceremonial law will start here. This part of the law had to do with like how you get close to God by cleanliness and cleansing yourself. Certain rituals and sacrifices like having to have a Passover lamb that you would slaughter, um, uh, how you approach the temple of God, um, what you do in all of the tabernacle, the different steps that you take to get to the Holy of Holies and only certain people could go behind the veil of the Holy of Holies. That was all the ceremony law. You'll notice that Jesus then becomes the um, fulfillment of all that ceremony. He is the Passover lamb. He is the tabernacle. Like he is the showbread. He is the basin that washes our hands. He is the holy of holies. He is the veil that's torn in two that now we're able to access him. And in the very first miracle that Jesus does, if you remember, the very first miracle Jesus performs is he turns water into wine. H2O into Merlot. And he, he, he does this miracle at a wedding. It's not by accident that the first thing he does a miracle in is in a, a ceremony designed to show intimate relationship, long-term covenant. And something that gets missed in this story about water into wine, we think it's about the water and the wine. Really, it's about a couple of things. It's about the intimate relationship of a marriage It's also about the basins that they use to draw the water that becomes the wine. The Bible says that there were eight ceremonial washing pots that were set aside at the house. Those washing pots were specifically used in Jewish custom that before you could enter and be clean from uh, sitting at the Passover meal or doing a holiday or reading uh, the Torah, you had to go to the ceremonial washing pots that were designated. You didn't just wash your hands in the sink. You went to the washing pot, the washing basin. It was filled with a certain water. You would wash the outside, wash your hands, wash your face, wash in order for you to be acceptable to approach God. So look at what Jesus is doing. 
He says, go get those ceremonial washing pots, fill them to the brim. They bring eight, it would have equated to about 420 some bottles of wine. <laughs> Party at the wedding. Jesus doesn't do anything halfway. <laughs> but let me show you what he's doing. He's not just providing some wine for the party. He's, he's showing them I'm coming, that the way you used to get to me was you would wash the outside. But when I come into your life, I'm gonna wash you from the inside. I'm gonna breathe life into you. You're not gonna have to find life outside of you. I'll breathe life into you if you'll let me. And then the, cleanse, the cleansing comes from the inside out. That's how Jesus works. The ceremonial law is part of though keeping those customs and traditions. Then you've got the civil law, and the civil law was more about how you live with one another, your conduct and your consequences. So like how they dealt with debt and property management, how they dealt with um, the Sabbath, and if you uh, had to do this or that, it, it, they, it talked about if you didn't have a firstborn son, what, what happens to your property? It was civility, how to be citizens in this nation, how, how to have this conduct and consequences. And you'll notice that Jesus is gonna come and in his Sermon on the Mount, he is gonna show this. You've heard it said, do not, do not commit adultery. I tell you, don't even look lustfully on a woman. What, what's he doing? He's, not, he's giving them guardrails. He's giving them a different way to see it, to not just think about, I can't do this and I can't do this, but I actually want to find a place in Jesus that I'm able to really conduct myself and understand the consequences based on relationship with him, not just my relationship to the law. The third part, the moral law was simply, a good example would be like the 10 commandments, standards for right living, and we still have moral law in effect. But the way the moral law was used before Christ was this is the only way that you would actually uh, be made right is if you lived this way and you knew you weren't gonna be able to live that way completely perfectly, so you would have to do the ceremonial law in order to wash you clean and give you a chance until the next time you have to wash yourself clean again. And this whole idea is relating to a person's character. And here's how Jesus changes us. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The way you think affects the way you feel. The way you feel affects the way you act. And many times in church circles, we've all been about the acting versus the thinking, the behavioral modification. Stop it, how many times do I have to tell you? you gotta, it, it, it's not about getting the kids just to obey what you say and to act. It's about understanding if you'll go rewind and God says, honor your father and your mother that, may, may, that it would go well with you. If I can actually get that heart of honoring and loving, then the acting begins to work its way out in my everyday character, conduct, and convictions. Those are the ceremonial law, the civil law, and the, and the moral law. But even then, just following the law is not what God meant for you to do in order to get close to God. I'm gonna show you pictures in the Bible. In fact, we're gonna talk about four, pardon me, the polarization of the Bible though. When it comes to this law, there are two extremes. Two extremes that people do when it comes to the law, under the law and under grace. Two extremes. On the one side, let's go over here, and we've got legalism where I've got to follow every single uh, jot 
and tittle. I've got to make sure I, I got to keep my spiritual ducks in a row. Oh, you better not be laughing unless you're laughing at how dumb the devil is. Oh, you better be wearing a certain dress code to church. You better, and it's all about like this legalism of things. But the other side is the license of things where we're not under the law, we're under grace. So, you know, you kill three or four people, <laughs> boys will be boys. Like, I mean, you can't live that way either. Do we just keep on sinning so grace may abound that much more? By no means, the apostle Paul says. So what, how do we relate to the law and how do we relate to grace? That's what the next two Sundays are about. And so today, what I wanna do is how do we find the, the beauty of grace and truth that Jesus is 100% full of, grace and truth? How do we live in that tension between legalism and license well, we figure out what the law is and we figure out what grace is. So let me give you four pictures of the law. Here's the first one. First picture is the picture of a yoke, a yoke. I don't mean yoked, okay, some of you yoked up, taking your protein shake, okay? A yoke is simply this idea of um, a control mechanism for harvesting, a control mechanism for planting um, that you would attach to animals in this yoke, in particular to oxen or whatever beast of burden you choose. My grandpa Tate plowed fields on fields in Arkansas with uh, oxen. And uh, my dad would ride behind him, they were, or not ride, but walk with him because it was strapped to a leather strap and would push uh, the, the plow through with, with oxen. And my dad would talk, and Paul Paul Tate would say, gee ha, gee ha. I guess ha meant left and gee meant right. I don't know why you don't say right, left, but the oxen apparently understand gee and ha because you're speaking oxen. I don't know, I don't know what that means. Long story short, those oxen didn't have any freedom. They couldn't go where they wanted to go. They were just, they were designed to pull the weight. And they were under that yoke so that they couldn't escape and do their own thing. Now, when they were yoked together like that, there was beauty in that and there was power in that. There was strength in that and there was productivity in it. But the law is a yoke, not in the beauty of it, but in actually how it enslaves us. Here's what the scripture says in Galatians 5. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So you gotta stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul is talking about living by the law. That if you try to like just be a goody two-shoes, if you try to just be the best person in comparison to that person, well, I didn't do that. At least I don't do this. I mean, you know what the person three rows behind me at this location has done? I know their story. I can't even believe that they're here right now. You, 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 don't, even under, you don't understand grace. You're living by law. And here's what that yoke meant, write it down. Uh, the law controls us like a yoke. It controls us and tells us where to go, but it does not change us. You put a yoke on some cows, it don't change those cows into chickens. If you put a yoke on cows, it's a cow in a yoke. You put yourself in a yoke, you're just in a yoke. But see, Jesus came not to control you, but to change you. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. 
Learn from me. See, I'm different. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It was so tiring to try and do and do and do. That was their access to God. God was saying, if you'll take me on as the yoke, I do the heavy lifting. My yoke is light. My burden is light. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you be attached to me instead of the law. The law is like a yoke. It controls us, it doesn't change us. Number two, uh, the law is pictured as a guardian throughout scripture. Now, I don't mean guardians of the galaxy. I don't mean some kind of, uh, you know, uh, military personnel standing in front of Buckingham Palace. Uh, Think of it like this. Think of of Mary Poppins. That the um, leaders of the home, the parents of the home needed help to manage their children. And so they brought in a guardian for their kids and they learned how to supercalifragilisticexpialidocious it. And how a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And, and Mary was the guardian over these children because they didn't have the maturity to kind of manage themselves while mom and dad were away. Scripture says it like this in Galatians 4. If a father dies and leaves great wealth for his little son, that child is not much better off than a slave until he grows up. Even though he actually owns everything his father had. A small child gets inheritance, but you don't just give him a, ca- you know, a suitcase full of $100 bills when he's 11. Otherwise, you know, you're like, what are you gonna do? Zebra cakes! I mean, like, who knows? Skateboards! I'm gonna go to Six Flags forever. That, that, that's, how people, that's how people that win the lottery spend it up in a week. In a month, they have nothing to show for it. You know why? Because they don't have the maturity to handle what's been given them. Father dies, leaves that great wealth. He actually owns everything his father had. He just doesn't know how to deal with it yet. So he has to do what his guardians and managers tell him to do until he reaches whatever age his father has set. So what is this picture showing us about the law? The law regulates immaturity. The law is meant to regulate immaturity It does not transform relationship. So the law as a guardian, it's just showing you how much room you have to still grow. You're not strong enough. But Jesus comes and he's not about keeping you immature. He's not about keeping you down here and you just, you know, just be, he wants, you're you're a part of the heir to his throne. You're a you're a son, you're a daughter. He wants to grow you up. How many parents that are worth their salt want more for their kids than they, what, what they experienced? Now, sometimes if you're not careful, what you end up passing down is more of like, I didn't have name brand shoes growing up and I want more for the next generation so my kids are gonna have name brand shoes growing up. And if you're not careful, that's all we pass down. That's not... That, that, that's, that's not gonna help in maturity. But some of the best things you can do is that you can actually engage for a relationship to show them way beyond the stuff maybe you didn't have as a kid because it was a different socioeconomic situation, good or bad. 
but it's more about behavior and about life lessons and, and, and how you're going to live when things go your way and things don't go your way. The largest celebration event, largest than the largest Easter service we've had at the Nacogdoches location since 2019, was a funeral service yesterday of a 16-year-old boy died tragically in a car accident. Faith is not what you use to get what you want. Faith is what you have to have when you don't get what you want. And their family led us in worship. The dad actually played drums at the funeral at the Nacogdoches location. When he got off the stage at the final moments, um, I just felt led to grab him and whisper in his ear what I'm going to tell you. I told him, I, I said, Todd, you set the rhythm for the music today. But we wouldn't be doing this if you hadn't set the rhythm for following Jesus as a dad. Dads, you set the pace. Moms, you set the pace. You set the metronome. Of your families. And the goal of parenting is not just to regulate their immaturity. The goal is to transform the relationship. You know, I'm best friends with my parents these days. But you know, my mom is best friends. I'm best friends with my mom, best friends with my dad. But my mom didn't have to have matching sweatpants with my sister that said juicy in order to be a relatable parent. <laughs> that wasn't even of the Holy, Holy Spirit come back. I'm sorry, I, 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 that, that ain't in the notes, okay? What I'm saying to you is, my dad wasn't trying to be my best buddy growing up. But now my dad's like my best buddy. Because he taught me and, and we developed relationship. The law, just your laws, my house, my rules. It's okay. You want to regulate immaturity. But that's not what will really make the biggest difference in your kids' lives going forward. It's relationship you build with them. Look at how Jesus says it here. He has to do what his guardians and managers tell him to until he reaches whatever age his father is set. And that is the way it was with us before Christ came. Before Christ came, that's what we had to do with the law. We were slaves to Jewish laws and rituals for we thought they could save us. But when the right time came, the time God decided on, he sent his son, born of a woman, born as a Jew, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own sons. It's about relationship, not about just regulating our immaturity. Next one, the law is pictured as a mirror. Now, I don't know about you growing up, we had one rule in the house, thank you, sir, we had one rule in the house, and that was, go outside and play. We're taking a nap. You come back in here, you're grounded, especially on Sundays. That was my mom and dad pastors growing up. Sundays, oh baby, you woke them up from a slumber, you gonna wake up the giant. I don't talk about spiritual giant. I mean like, I'm gonna make your, you know, butter my bread with your bones kind of thing. Like that was, a, you don't come in and interrupt mom and dad in a Sunday snooze, okay? 
We also had this, like, we would go and we would just play hard. And times coming into the house, my mom would say things like, are you kidding me? You should see yourself right now. Because we weren't running around with a mirror. We didn't have a phone to look at. We were just running around, riding bikes, getting in the dirt, playing in the mud, you name it. And she'd say, go, come here, you gotta look at yourself. And we would look in the mirror and it wasn't until we could see in the mirror that we could actually say, oh, there I am, okay. And you got the dirt and you got the grime and you got the nastiness. I was at Applebee's uh, with some friends in high school. I'm 100% blind in my left eye. And one of my friends uh, thought it would be funny that while we were eating at Applebee's to wipe mayonnaise on my left lens of my glasses without me knowing, because I can't see it. So I'm talking to the waiter the whole time. Yeah, can I get some more? And they're going, not even saying anything. Dude, friends don't let friends have stuff in their teeth or mayonnaise on their glasses. They ain't your friends, idiots. It wasn't until I get to the bathroom, wash my hands, I'm looking up and I'm seeing a smear of mayonnaise on my lens. I walk back in there, what are you doing? I had to look at the mirror and other, it, it, to see kind of what my condition was. That's what the law does. Write this down in your notes. The law reveals my condition. It doesn't cure my condition. By knowing I've fallen short of the glory of God, that doesn't heal my condition. It just reveals my condition. And that's what, that's what the law is throughout the word of God. It just shows you, you ain't good enough. You're not ever going to be good enough. And there is no cure by just trying to continue to be good enough. So the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, even to this day when Moses is read, and he's talking about Moses reading the law or the Jewish people reading the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, where they get all of their ceremonial, civil, and moral law. He says, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. It's like they don't see clearly. And I'm not talking about just eyesight, I'm talking about insight. They don't see. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Do you know why people that don't know Jesus act the way they do? It's because there's a veil. Why can't they see it? Why don't they get it? Why don't they understand it? Well, you're wanting them to understand something that isn't understandable until we have the oh moment where Jesus reveals himself and he reveals our need for him. And, and that, is, that is why like the God of this age, like the enemy has blinded people where some people, you can come in and come to a service and you can receive something from God, but a person that is still just not ready to find Jesus, not, they haven't opened their heart to that yet, they got a veil over their eyes. And so now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Paul says that we all, that when you know Jesus, we all, y'all, who with unveiled faces what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be mirrors to the culture of who Jesus is and we reflect not our own opinions, not our, uh, just our own passions, not our emotions. We reflect the Lord's glory, the weight of who he is. 
and we are being transformed into his image. See, when you look into a mirror, you're not transformed. But when you lean into Jesus, he transforms you from the inside out. And we are being transformed. And when people see you, they ought to see some Jesus coming out. And do you know that if we were under law, you would never be able to show enough Jesus because you don't, and I don't either. But because we're under grace, he is, when we sin, his grace covers so much more and we continue to reflect and reflect and we grow in who God is in our lives and we show it. Do you know that the Bible says the fruit of the spirit, not the fruits of the spirit, it's the fruit. You should have it all. You can't like go to the grocery store and pick grapes and pineapples and watermelon, but stay away from the kiwi. You can't do that with the fruits of the spirit because it's the fruit of the spirit. So you can't just say, I got love, joy, and peace, but patience, (laughs) ain't putting that on the list. Oh, self-control, no thanks. I like to do it my own way. No, you gotta have it all. But the Bible says in in that passage in Galatians that against all of the fruit, there is no law. So like there's no law you're breaking for having full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things. There's no law against it. Nobody's saying, how dare you be so self-controlled? You're you're fired for being so patient. Like like there's there's no law against that. And that's who we wanna become as we reflect the image of who Jesus is. Finally, the law is pictured as a shadow. And you know what a shadow is, it's not the substance, it's, it's a reflection when a substance is surrounded by light. When substance has light, it finds a way through or around and, and when it doesn't find its way all the way through, it leaves an image, it leaves this reflection or this Uh, this shadow where the light should be, but the light isn't getting there, the law is a shadow. It was just a reflection of what was to come, Just just a hint of the substance that was Jesus. After Jesus is resurrected, he walks the road to Emmaus. And when he walks that road, He gathers up with some guys and they're talking about everything that has happened. And he says, what are you guys talking about? And they literally say, have you been under a rock? He's like, for three days, you know. (laughs) And they say, no, he was supposed to come. They say these three words, we had hoped. We had hoped. And they they were without hope because Jesus had died. And the Bible says there in the book of John that starting with the law and the prophets, he told them everything that was written about himself. These were just shadows. They were all pointing to Jesus. We don't throw away the Old Testament and we don't throw away the laws. We see them as shadows that show us who Jesus really is. If, if, if you might even question, you may question that, but let me go to the book of Hebrews. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. And when it comes to like the picture is a shadow, when you begin to read the Bible knowing who Jesus is, you begin to understand the beauty of everything else. When Adam and Eve fall short of the glory of God, 
that try to cover themselves in their own way with fig leaves. That's like the law. But God kills an animal and that blood sacrifice, something had to die in their place because they deserve to die because they disobey God. So instead of them dying, something else dies. And instead of being covered the way they thought they could cover themselves, God covers them the way that only he could cover them. And it's a shadow that though your sins be like crimson, Jesus would die and cover you. You don't have to keep trying to cover yourself with temporary fig leaves. You don't have to make yourself right with God. He makes you right with God. It's his righteousness, not yours. The Israelites, they failed. They wandered in the wilderness because they sinned against God. They wandered for 40 years before they crossed the Jordan River and into the promised land. Jesus, a shadow, he is baptized in the same river that they would not cross. And the very next thing he does is he goes into the wilderness, not for 40 years, because he didn't have that time. But in representation of those 40 years, he spends 40 days. And instead of falling short of the glory of God, he is sinless. And he uses the word of God as everything, as the source of life. And he, he overcomes the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And he is the shadow. He is the fulfillment of what they were trying to do. He did. David conquers Goliath on the battlefield as the Israelites are standing there scared, shaken in their armor. And yet Jesus comes and he conquers the greatest Goliath in your life, sin and death and the grave. While you, all you could do, see, we think we're David in the story. Oh yeah, bless God, I'm gonna fight my battle. No, 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 no. You are an Israelite pee in your pants. Jesus shows up, the true king, and he conquers death on the Oh, I could go through, I could give you so many from Daniel to Jonah. I could give you so many from the flour that's added to the poisonous pot and how the bitter water was a better water when the bitter water was made better with wood and how when we add Jesus, all the bitterness, it's not about adding the wood, it's about adding Christ. It's about the serpent in the wilderness that they rose up and if they looked on the serpent, they would be cleansed from the sickness and God says, Jesus says, I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. So like, I'll I'll cleanse you from your sickness, all cleanse. I could go on and on, but let me just give you this one last shadow before we wrap up today. In Exodus 32, maybe a familiar story to those of you that have been in church, but let me break it down for you if you've not. They've been in the wilderness, they've been released, the Israelites from Egypt, bondage in Egypt, 400 years of slavery, freed, miraculous hand of God, 50 days later, 50 days. Moses is up the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments on tablets and other laws as God is piercing through the stone and writing with the finger of God. He's receiving the commandments. But the Israelites are impatient. They've been waiting 50 days. That's a long time. 
I mean, 400 years of slavery, miraculously restored, Red Sea, and they can't wait 50 days. And they get so tired of waiting, they mumble, they grumble, they complain. They say to Aaron, the, 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 the comrade of Moses, they say, Aaron, we ain't going nowhere. Moses ain't coming back. Let's build our own God. Let's figure this thing out or we should just go back to Egypt. And Aaron, like an idiot, bless God, he says, okay. They collect a bunch of gold earrings and all kinds of other stuff. They melt it down. They make a golden calf. They turn on the DJ and they start worshiping this graven image. Little do they know that Moses is gonna come down the mountain and the number one commandment, he's gonna say, don't you ever have any gods before me. Number two, do not make any graven images. And he doesn't even have to communicate that. And that's exactly what they're already doing. And as Moses is coming down from meeting with God, halfway he meets his army military general, Joshua. And Joshua's walking with him and says, is that a sound of, of, of fighting? Is that a sound of war? And Moses is ticked off. He knows what it is. He goes, uh-uh. Oh, I know they didn't. That's a sound of worship. That's a sound of singing. When he turns the corner coming off the mountain, he shows up there. And the Israelites have got the calf raised and they're in this full on worship, crazy, graven image, pagan orgy. And Moses goes to Aaron. Aaron's like a third grader with his response. He says, what are you doing? I leave you in charge for like 50, a month and a half and this is what you do? And Aaron literally says, you ought to read the Bible, it's amazing. He goes, well, he threw some gold in the fire and out came a calf. You know, it's like you're showing up, your kids have cut the bank. The scissors were there and it just happened. And here's the consequences because they did not follow the law. Moses melts down the calf and makes him drink it. Then he gets the Levites, the tribe that were the priests, okay, that were to follow, they were to administer the ceremonial laws. And he gets the Levites together and he says, we're gonna run through the camp and it don't matter who it is, men, women, children, you're gonna swing your sword and whoever dies by the sword dies by the sword. And sure enough, the Levites go through the camp swinging their swords. And the Bible says in Exodus 32, that day, 3,000 people died because they didn't follow the law. Fast forward to the Feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, celebrating, celebrating in Acts two, the Jews are showing up to the temple, gonna celebrate when Moses brought the law and the Holy Spirit falls, not on people who were impatient, but people that had relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says, go into Jerusalem and wait, be patient, and I'm gonna give you what you need for living. I'm gonna empower you with my spirit. I'm not just gonna save you, I'm gonna give you an empowerment and a boldness to be my witnesses. And what did they do? They followed him and they waited. And when they waited, God showed up in a powerful way, spoke the message of truth to the people in the streets of Jerusalem that were there to celebrate the law that was given by God to tablets. 
But instead, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. They said, what do we need to do? They were baptized, they repented, they were baptized. And the Bible says 3,000 were added that day. It was a shadow. You try to live by the law, no matter how good you are, it's just death. But if you'll let the Holy Spirit write the law of Jesus on your heart, it's life. That's the power of the shadow. It's the power of understanding the word of God in your life. So what's the proper power of the law then? As we wrap up, write this down. First Timothy says, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. So how do we use it properly? Paul shows us he doesn't leave it as a, as a quiz that you gotta figure out and it's gonna be on the final exam. He makes it very, very clear. In Galatians chapter three, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. To lead us to Christ. I wonder if you have been burdened with just trying to do a lot of good stuff You've been on the legalism side, but you might be here and you've not felt a burden or a conviction to like honor God by the way you live and you've been in the extreme of license. But we see how God designed us to live. We go to Jesus and if we'll love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's the greatest commandment, love me. Love people, and you will reflect my image. Would you pray with me at all locations? With your heads bowed and eyes closed. Jesus is a better Moses. He never loses his temper with you. He gives you a way out instead of playing wipeout. He meets you right where you are, not where you wish you were. in this moment, maybe you need to reflect a little bit. Have I just been trying to do this Christianity thing about what I can get out of it and kind of follow the rules a little bit? And, or am I really about transformative relationship with Jesus from the inside out? If you've been wrong in your approach, good news, Jesus meets you right here, right now, can wash all that away and give you a fresh start today. You just invite him to do that today in your own words. I invite you to give me a fresh start today. I'm a sinner. I, I don't deserve to live. The law shows me I don't deserve it. But Jesus, thank you that you made a way for me. And I want to follow you today. For all of us that may struggle with a little legalism or a little license, God, can we become more like you? Can this be your bold prayer today, friend? Couples, husbands, wives, young, senior saints, fresh baby Christians, can this be your prayer? Jesus, is there any place in me that you would like to change? Is there any thought, attitude, emotion? Is there any hold up, hang up, habit? Is there any opinion? Is there any my way over your way in any way? Whew, thank you for your grace. Thank you for giving me a fresh start. Reveal these things to me that I may give them to you. Take on your yoke. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.